Good morning. It's great to be here with you. I come this morning to tell you that we are indeed a blessed people. Now, I'm not talking about our stuff. I'm not talking about our material possessions or our bank accounts, although so many are certainly blessed in those ways also. What I am talking about is this. We are blessed with the message we have been given. That is, that we can be in relationship with the God of the universe through His Son because of His sacrifice for us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is good news. It is great news. It is the best possible news we could have. We are saved by grace through faith. We are clothed not in any righteousness of our own, but rather in the righteousness of Jesus. And yet, we so often take it for granted. What would you and I do if people started changing the message of the good news that has changed us? What would you do if every person who stood here at this pulpit gave you a new and a different take on how you could enter into a relationship with God. And it seemed that it always entailed following more rules and more laws, and you're doing more. And what would you do if you'd already been down that path? And you knew that it led nowhere but to heartache and anger and guilt, and fear, and criticism, and judging others every day. What would you do in your knowing that we have nothing to add to the gospel, and yet people stand here and add to that gospel? Well, that's exactly what happened to Paul. And so Paul sets out in his letter to the Galatians to instruct the followers of Jesus who are residing there in that area to resist the false teachings of the Judaizers. They were coming into the church in Galatia, a church which Paul had been to. He had encouraged them. Paul had preached that justification, a right standing before God, comes only by grace through faith. And now these false teachers enter in and they're saying that you had to add obedience to the law, particularly circumcision, to faith in order to achieve by your own efforts a right standing before God. Are we to obey the law? Absolutely. But we obey it not as a condition for God to love us or to grant us standing Before him, we obey the law not to gain his love, but because we already have his love. We obey the law in order to show our gratitude to God for what he has done for us, not to gain his favor. Legalism, being overly tied to the law and maybe even some laws that we've made up ourselves always ends up in turning us from Jesus and to a futility of being tangled in our own efforts to please God. Legalism 
is a way in which we try to dress ourselves up in our own righteousness when we have already, as those who have trusted in Jesus and been saved because of his death on the cross, we're already robed regally in the righteousness of Jesus. It is so simple, profound, beautiful, yet we keep trying to complicate it by adding our own efforts and righteousness to it. And we have no righteousness of our own, we're told in Scripture. In fact, sometimes we are even the ones who tell ourselves or others that God will love us a little bit more. Maybe we don't say it, but we think it. God will love us a little bit more if we do certain things. If we're involved in a certain ministry, you fill in the blank. But Jesus has already loved us just as we are. Christ has loved us while we were yet sinners, Paul says. I can remember in Acapulco years ago as Rita and I were living there and seeking to start new churches in that city, we were holding some outreach events and a number of people were trusting in Jesus. And we found that there was one other preacher who would come to those meetings and he would stand at the door as people would leave. And he would invite them to his church to hear more about what they needed to do and what they needed to experience so that they could truly be saved. Friends, we bring nothing to the table in our own salvation. We've heard last week, the strong words of the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 of Galatians regarding people who were adding to the gospel. Now, this week, Paul is responding to the tearing down of himself as the messenger. These false teachers first attacked the message, and then they attacked the credibility of the messenger. So Paul responds very powerfully. And he does so in an amazing way as he shares something of his own story. His story before knowing Christ, how he came to know Christ, and then the ministry that Christ gave him after coming to him. Hear the word of God, Galatians 1, beginning with verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let us pray. Our Father, would you come this morning and invade our lives by your Spirit? Teach us, challenge us. Let us see the glory of Jesus and the beauty of your message of good news. We pray in his name. Amen. First, let us address Paul's authority. It was directly from Jesus, not from any man. If we go back to the first verse in Galatians, Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul and his message are from God and not promoted or created by man. Now, what's the big deal about Paul being an apostle? Paul is presenting here in the last part of chapter 1 his credentials and status as an apostle. In verse 16, he says, after his encounter with Jesus on the road, Paul writes, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, or Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Paul is saying here that he did not dream up this gospel. He did not get his understanding of the gospel from mere men. He did not sit under the teachings of Peter or others. He had been trying to destroy the gospel. Paul tells of three years away in Arabia, not being trained by any of the apostles, but rather by Jesus. How interesting it is that it was a three-year period, the same as the original apostles, three years with Jesus. The message that Paul had came directly from Jesus. Verse 12, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we know that a disciple is one who is a student and a follower. An apostle is one who is sent out with a certain message. And Paul certainly was both. But you remember the original 12 apostles. Paul is now given that title himself. Paul is trained by Jesus and given the title and the function of an apostle. Now, when you pick up a book, whether it's a novel or a textbook, many of you, the first thing you do is you go to the author to see who wrote this. Does he or she know what they are talking about? If we go to John Grisham, most of you know that name. He generally writes legal thrillers. And yet he's done nonfiction and short stories, a children's book. He's done some sports and comedy fictions, but you probably don't know the names of those. Whereas you know the firm, 250 million copies sold. 
you know a time to kill. And I could list the others, the huge successes. They all have to do with what he knows best, and that's the law. After law school, he was practicing in South Haven, Mississippi, in primarily criminal defense law. He says he was working 60 to 70 hours a week. And then he says, I seriously doubt I would ever have written the first story had I not been a lawyer. I never dreamed of being a writer. I wrote only after witnessing a trial. And we're not talking about novels here. If you're studying in a particular field, whether it's medicine or finance or science or a given trade, you want someone who knows the field, someone who's a witness, someone who knows the subject. I wonder if Paul would have ever written a document, if he would have ever written a letter, if his life had not been invaded. He was struck on that road to Damascus by Jesus. If he had not been a witness to Jesus, I don't think he would have ever written. And he certainly wouldn't have written to God's people, a book like Galatians or much of the New Testament. Paul had it all. And yet he had nothing. And now he writes as a witness, a participant. And he writes with authority and power. He writes with a conviction for truth and a passion for the gospel. He writes as an apostle appointed by God. And his words in Galatians still impact the lives of men and women as they have throughout history. Paul's authority came directly from Jesus, who came powerfully into his life and changed everything. Let's talk now about the conversion as Paul describes it. First, you may be wondering why this guy seems to have two names, Saul and Paul. And maybe somewhere along the line, you've heard somebody say that Um, His name was changed from Saul the persecutor to Paul the apostle. Well, Scripture really doesn't give us any indication that God ever changed his name. Rather, we believe that he had two names. Saul was his Hebrew name, born of Jewish parents. Paul was his Greek name, used when he was away from Jerusalem on his missionary journeys. I will use this morning both Saul and Paul somewhat interchangeably, as Scripture does. But back to his calling, Paul's calling, conversion by God. Let me start with what was happening just prior to Paul's encounter with Jesus. And this is really good stuff. Don't miss the beauty of God's Word and the power of the story of one man, Stephen was a deacon in the early church. He became the first martyr. He was preaching to the religious leaders in Acts 7. Verse 58 says this, Then they cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
the very next verse says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Verse 3, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. If we go back now to our text in Galatians 1, verse 13, Paul says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. And he continues. Paul gives more detail of his story a couple different times in the book of Acts. Before King Agrippa in Acts 26, he gives his defense and he says this in verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. God invaded Saul's life. Jesus came in power and it was like a lightning bolt. And at the same time, It was the most beautiful invasion that could possibly happen in his life because it changed everything. God had set him apart from before his birth. God had called him by his grace. Saul had tried for years to gain a right standing before God. He was it. He was hot stuff in his own community. But listen to to Philippians 3. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Jesus saved him from all of that in an instance. And here the change in Paul as Philippians continues. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. How does God work in our lives today? Just as Paul 
We understand from Scripture that we've been set apart and that we have been called. But each call may look different. God cannot be put in some box. And we cannot say that He always works in a certain manner. Your story of becoming a follower of Christ may be one of a fast and a decisive event. Your story may be slow. It may be an evolving process of God working through people or circumstances or reading or whatever. Your story may be one of picking up a Bible in a hotel room or listening to a Sunday school teacher or a preacher. Today in our world, there are many in the Muslim faith who have had dreams in which they have seen Jesus in His love for men and women, and they have come to trust Him for their own salvation. Churches in Europe, we are told, are being renewed as they have started loving and serving their Muslim friends who are in such need. There's a beauty in every story of God's calling us to Himself. We've read of the blinding, instantaneous call of Paul. Let me tell you another story, one in which God used a most unlikely person to get his message to burn in the life of another who was not even overtly looking to find God. Rita and I received word just a few days ago of a dear friend who went to be with the Lord as a result of a massive heart attack. God used Howard Hughes. If you don't know who Howard Hughes is, look it up later. Ask your parent. Um, But God used Howard Hughes staying in one of the most luxurious hotels of the day as part of the story of our dear friend, Willie. Willie had risen from humble means in Holland to the pinnacle of his chosen field. Willie worked at the Acapulco Prince's Hotel as the master pastry chef. And I'm telling you, his stuff was really, really good. Willie, on a Sunday morning, was out playing golf. And the general manager sent word to Willie that he needed to return to the kitchen because they had a special guest who wanted a special dessert. And this man wanted strawberry tarts. So Willie goes to the kitchen and he says that he made some of the best strawberry tarts that could ever be made. And he sent them up to the penthouse only to have them about 10 minutes later returned and said, can you try something else? He made more strawberry tarts, um, creating a new tart, new recipe. Well, they came back too. Willie had been insulted twice, but he was also insulted when the man um, says, well, I'm going to send my jet to Bermuda, and they'll bring back what I want. And you can see it, and you can duplicate it. So it came back. Willie duplicated it, but he later said that you could have bought a better strawberry tart wrapped in cellophane at the grocery store. He said that they were biscuits with a little bit of jelly on top. Willie finally found out who this guest was um, with the sweet tooth. It was Howard Hughes, who had the top two floors of the Prince's Hotel to himself. Well, that put Willie 
on a new trajectory in his life. Willie had been rapidly rising as the chef everyone wanted. And people would literally come to the Princess Hotel and they'd sit down with Willie and they would put a contract in front of him and say, come work for us, you can fill in the blanks. Willie stayed in Acapulco because someone kept Willie in Acapulco and we know who that was. Willie was chasing the wind, he realized. He thought more money was going to satisfy and bring joy. But God used this reclusive and very unhappy Howard Hughes to have Willie ponder his own course. And Willie began a new search for joy and meaning. Soon thereafter, he was invited to one of our gatherings in Acapulco. And Willie was not struck with lightning like Paul. But his encounter with Jesus and the transformation in his life were just as real. A few years later, Willie had become an elder and a teacher and a leader in the church there in Acapulco. And God gave him the incredible ability to love people and to share his own story of his journey. Willie changed the world around him by God's grace. At his homecoming this week, the internet lit up with stories of the influence of the life of one man. Willie was set apart from his birth. He was called to Jesus through a very interesting path. There's no doubt about it. And God has brought glory to himself through Willie. Paul was given his authority by Jesus. Paul was called by God. Let's move on now to ask the purpose of God's invading the life of Paul, or really any person for that matter. We see Paul's ministry bringing glory to God. And he did that by the proclaiming of good news to the Gentiles. Back to Paul before King Agrippa in Acts 26. Paul continues telling of his story of being blinded and finding out it is Jesus. And Jesus says to Paul, But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen in me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Then back to Galatians 1, verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, Paul says, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. God was being glorified by those who had feared Paul. This is amazing. The Christians were in fear of Paul. This guy was killing them. And now they're hearing that he's proclaiming this very good news. Can he be trusted? The followers of Jesus found that indeed Paul had become a new creature in Christ. 
and they glorified God, we're told, because of him. They did not glorify Paul. Only an authentic, God-ordained message can do that in the life of a man or woman. Remember, too, Paul was hated by the religious establishment now. He was a turncoat. For some time, it would be very easy to say that Paul was a man without a country or a people. He was a man without an identity, but you don't have to read much of Paul's writings to find that actually his identity was quite secure. For he was a new creature in Christ. He had a citizenship in heaven. He was now an ambassador, not of a high priest, nor of an earthly king, but he was the high priest or or the ambassador of the king of kings. And the gospel went out to all the known world through him and through his disciples. And it went to North America, Europe, South America, Africa, Asia, around the world. And the world has never been the same. Paul tells his story not to draw attention to himself, but to put the focus on Jesus, the one who set him apart before his birth and who called him by his grace. Paul's story has been told countless times throughout history as it's recorded in God's word. And it is to give great glory to God. Since the death of our friend Willie, The internet has exploded giving glory to God for the life of one humble, gifted servant of Jesus. What about you? Do you and others give glory to God for your life? For God's work in and through you? We ought to be giving glory to each other or giving glory to God for each other. Let someone know that you glorify God because of what he has done in their lives. You and I are incredible, beautiful testimonies to the grace of God. For some reason, we're a little bit uncomfortable with saying that or receiving that. If I say, Lauren, you're an amazing testimony of God's grace, or Richard and Lucille, you're an amazing testimonies of God's grace. The truth is, you are. Because God has brought each one of us out of darkness into his light. We have been entrusted with the most powerful, eternal, never-changing message that can change the world. We are blessed to have that message. And one of the ways in which we tell that message is by telling our own stories, even as the Apostle Paul does. And so as we close, I challenge you to know your story. Embrace your story. Tell your story appropriately. Dave mentioned the class that will start next week um, during the early hour. And I would encourage you to come if you would like to know better how to know, embrace, and tell your story. There are those around us to whom we can tell our story appropriately. 
And the truth of the gospel becomes more clear because of what he has done in and through our lives. That's what Paul does here in Galatians. That's what he did numerous times in the book of Acts. So know your story, beloved. Embrace your story. Tell your story. You are a testimony of the grace of God. He has brought you out of darkness into light. Jesus comes and he changes everything. This morning, we celebrate what God has done in our lives, calling us to himself. We come and we partake of this table behind me in order to be fed and nurtured by the one who gave his body and his blood for us. Friends, this is not a potluck dinner. We bring nothing to this table but our brokenness and our need to be fed. Jesus has already provided it all, and we celebrate that and we feed upon it. Now, this is a meal for the follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, you're invited to partake in this meal, to feast upon it. But if you have not yet put your trust in the Lord Jesus, I would encourage you to do so this morning. But I would also encourage you as the elements come to you to just feel free to pass them along. We do ask parents if they would withhold these elements from their children until your children have a time to come and meet with the elders and profess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. During communion, Dave will be roaming um, with gluten-free elements. If you are in need of those, please catch his eye by raising your hand. But we invite you to come. This is for the children of God. Let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the message of the gospel. We thank you for the ultimate messenger, the Lord Jesus himself. We come this morning needing to be fed by you, O Lord. So we ask that you would feed us until we are full. Father, thank you for Jesus who drank of the cup of his father's judgment. Yet he gives us the cup of your grace. Father, we rejoice in you and give great glory to God for you. Father, we also come this morning bringing our tithes and our offerings, knowing that all that we have comes graciously from your hand. Father, would you make us a generous people? We know there are many needs around us. Would you bring great glory, greater glory to yourself as a result of these tithes and offerings? Father, we pray these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now prepare our hearts to receive this meal.